Hello and welcome to Combat and Classics. This is Brian Wilson in Dallas, Texas. Shiloh Brooks at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And I'm Jeff Black at St. John's College in Annapolis, Maryland. So we are back with uh, book seven of the Iliad. Uh, we do not have exactly enough um, money in the combat and classics budget to Hollywood ourselves into some <laughs> continuity here. So we uh, have not been doing the Iliad uh, in real life for quite a while. We kind of paused it um, and we're doing the Anabasis intermixed uh, and then stopped doing the Iliad in terms of recording. Uh, finish the Anabasis, which we hope you enjoyed. Uh, and if you haven't listened to that so far, you can go back and uh, do the whole thing. Seven whole pods on that. Uh, so we're coming back to the Iliad. Uh, fresh set of eyes, but jumping right into book seven. And Shiloh's going to summarize it. And Jeff is going to give us the opening question. So Shiloh, over to you. Okay, I'm be quick about it. So the, this book opens with a duel. Uh, Apollo and Athena propose a duel. And Hector announces that he's willing to fight any Achaean. Uh, and so, you know, he ranges across the lines. Menelaus volunteers, but Agamemnon steps in and says, whoa, whoa, Menelaus, <laughs> he might not want to do that. And so um, that says something about Menelaus. Uh, but then N Nestor uh, it starts to encourage Achaeans to, to step forward. Somebody please step forward. And so they, they uh, take lots and Ajax wins the lot and he's gladdened by this. And so Ajax and Hector fight um, a bit, and Ajax seems to have the upper hand. He, his um, spear throws are very hard, and they penetrate uh, Hector's shield and armor, and he draws his blood. And so Zeus sees this, sees this and uh, sends, I believe, some heralds to stop the fight. And uh, Hector and Ajax do as mortals do and forge an agreement of friendship. And you get to think, why can't they do this you know, all the time? Um, so uh, Nestor and Priam then encourage their respective armies to ask for a day to do honors to the dead. Um, so they take this break. Um, meanwhile, while this uh, little break is going on, there's a Trojan man whose name I forget, but he asked Paris to uh, give up Helen, return Helen and end the war. Paris refuses to do this. And he says, well, I'm not going to return her, but I will return uh, the loot that I took with her. And so the Achaeans, uh, when presented with this proposal, seem to take it as a sign that the Trojans are down, uh, that they're looking for some way of, uh, of forging a peace. And uh, anyway, they take the, the, uh, the day to bury the dead. Uh, the last thing that happens in book seven is that Poseidon seems to complain to Zeus. And he says, you know, Zeus, the Achaeans have built these fortifications and they haven't made a grand sacrifice to us. Um, and he seems in some ways jealous uh, because the Achaeans are building these fortifications. And then he says something like, the mortals are going to forget us and they're going to forget me. And I built a gigantic wall and uh, they're going to forget that. And so uh, the book ends with uh, Zeus, you know, and Poseidon uh, upset at the mortals. That sounds good. Thanks, Shiloh, for that summary. Um, yeah, this uh, I was a little puzzled by what to ask about this book. Um, you know, when you read it in uh, context of uh, the other books of the Iliad, you're just passing through, it might seem like connective tissue, but when you isolate a book, uh, it really raises the question, what is it for on its own? Uh, this thing that is presented as a kind of unit, um, what is it supposed to do? So here's how I was thinking about it. Um, the the motive for the single combat is not clear to me. It looks like the gods are worried that um, Hector 
and Paris returning to the fight is going to lead to um, a lot of deaths on the Greek side, right? They were up in Troy, they were doing some domestic things and talking to their wives. They've come back to the fight now. Um, but night is also drawing near. It looks like the fighting is going to have to end anyways. And so um, it doesn't seem to me obvious that the point of the single combat is to end the fighting between the two sides. Although the gods think if one of the heroes dies, then there'll have to be some kind of funeral arrangements. And so they'll have to stop fighting for that reason. Um, so I wondered whether the... Um, Oh, and the other reason that uh, you might have single combat is to settle the issue. But this is, is not a single combat to settle who gets to keep Helen in her possessions, right? We had a single combat a few books back uh, that was like that um, and that was explicitly meant to um, settle the battle between the Greeks and the Trojans, the reason for their conflict. So I, I just wondered what this single combat is for. And one possibility occurred to me is it supposed to teach us something about who the Greeks are without Achilles? Um, and the striking thing is, uh, it's hard for them to come up with somebody who is going to face Hector. Hector is obviously the hero on the Trojan side. Um, who is the new hero on the Greek side? It turns out to be Ajax. So that's my question. I hope it, it makes some sense as a starting place. Who are the Greeks without Achilles? It also seems interesting to me about Ajax agreeing to a truce, right? Ajax is supposed to be this big lumbering, you know, shield of the Greeks. And he's like, yeah, cool. We can, we can stop if Hector wants to stop, you know? So how, in terms of what Jeff was talking about, in terms of like, why, why is book seven in here? Um, there seems to be something about the possibility of truce that even like this kind of very aggressive warrior um, has enough wherewithal to just be like, no, I'm okay with like calling it a day, calling it a tie, you know? So I don't know that that seems to be an important part of this. Cause you think that, you know, a heroic battle um, between two heroes is going to end with a winner and a loser, but that's not what we have here. So I guess I guess another to build on that question is, you know, if if we if we just say, well, you know, calling it calling it because you know we're out of daylight might be a reason, but you know, is it is there something more than that? Like, what is what's the real reason they decide on a truce or a tie? And it's not a tie, right? I mean, isn't it? I mean, Hector, Hector is about to get killed. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's about, he's, so I, I don't know. I mean, you ask this question, who are the Achaeans without Achilles? Well, on the one hand, they're an army without a hero. But on the other hand, they're, they're about to murder this man mm -hmm. and, and this other man. So they're not, I don't know, they're not doing that poorly. Uh, I mean, because part of me wants to say, Jeff, oh, you know, the Achaeans are nothing without Achilles. I mean, he's, mm -hmm. a, you know, he's, but then that turns out, um, at least here, not, not to be the case. Right. Uh, they're still able to play hero ball, as we put it in uh, the basketball world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I don't know what the, I don't know why, what the significance of the demonstration of, um, uh, of the fact that the Greeks have a hero who is able to get the best of Hector, who is not Achilles uh, what is the significance of that? I don't know. 
Yeah, I guess that's that's the sort of thing that I was wondering. Um, so yeah, it it uh, the the battle is not concluded with the death of one or the other, which looks like it might have been the way the gods originally understood their plan. Right, one of them's got to die. There are going to be funeral games that'll stop the fighting. Um, uh, Hector goes back, and the Trojans are relieved that he's survived. Right, the battle was just so manifestly. Um, to Hector's disfavor, he was so manifestly inferior that there's relief that he got away with his life. Um, Ajax uh, gets congratulated. He rejoices at his victory. That's around line 312 of this book. So he considers himself to have won, and he's actually treated as if he has won, right? So he's celebrated. He gets a particularly big stake at the dinner that Agamemnon throws for them that night. Um, so yeah, they don't have, the Greeks don't have a hero, uh, or do have a hero, they don't suffer from Achilles' loss, right, in this sense. The absence of Achilles does not mean that nobody can face up against the strongest fighter of the Trojans, but it makes them act as if nobody can face up to the strongest fighter of the Trojans, and I find that really interesting. Um, I could try putting it this way and, and see if it makes sense. Having Achilles around damages the other heroes. Does that make sense? Yeah, you have in mind here that Nestor had to be like, come on, somebody, step, you know, step forward. Right, yeah. right. And there, there are details in there that amuse me no end, like um, Odysseus <laughs> is willing to fight. He is the ninth and last to step <laughs> forward. And I want to know why Odysseus thought a one in nine odd of being chosen was an acceptable risk, but one in eight was not an acceptable <laughs> risk. Right? If eight people come forward, you know, then, then I'll be the ninth. Um, so yeah, there, there's something, um, the, the Greeks, the Achaeans seem to be lacking in confidence um, and their lack is not um, justified. It's so much of I mean, I like the fact that Shiloh brought up hero ball, right? Because if you build your team around one player, then when you lose that player, you're kind of at a loss, right? The coach doesn't know what to do. The team doesn't know what to do. Um, and and warfare is a team sport, you know? Like, there's no real, like, oh, we got this guy, so it'll be okay. I mean, it's a good luck charm. Um, and if, you know, Napoleon is to be believed and the moralist, the physical is 10 is to one, then maybe there's a little bit more than just having uh, a really competent leader or fighter or something like that uh, mm -hmm. on your team. But figuring things out once that player, once LeBron is on the bench um, and then trying to figure out what to do in that situation I'm sure is very challenging. And then add the fact that like Agamemnon's, you know, the player coach on this and we've kind of seen what he does in stressful situations, you know, um, you know, we saw that all the way back in the beginning of the book um, where, you know, he just gets a little skittish and starts crying in front of everybody and says, Oh, we've mm -hmm. got to leave. And Oh, that was a test. And like this guy, what is he doing? Um, yeah. So I guess it's it's a question of something like, I don't know, especially for, you know, because it, it comes back to the question, like, what are they fighting for? Like, mm -hmm. what what exactly is the reason that Apollo uh, and Athena, like, 
agree to this? Is it specifically a pause? I'm trying to remember. Is it just to give everybody a break? Or is there more to it than that? Yeah, my memory was that it was um, mostly Athena's initiation, and it was because um, returning to the battle rested, um, Hector and Paris actually did a fair amount of damage to the Greeks. So they've been up in Troy dealing with their domestic situations. They've maybe got a, a breather. Um, Hector had gone up there because he needed some prayers to be said in order to benefit um, the, the Trojan side in the battle. And uh, it's probably a, a, it was a loss for those two heroes to be gone. And it's probably, especially in Hector's case, a great um, uh, improvement for the Trojans to have him return. Um, and so my impression was that, um, you know, Athena notices, this is around 15 or 16, how well these two Trojan heroes are doing in the battle um, now that they've returned fresh. And um, Apollo um, shows up because she shows up. And they meet and they deliberate um, and they agree on stopping. Um, so here's, here's, I can read what they say. Um, this is Athena and uh, Apollo. And Apollo speaks first. I think he's anticipating her. Why have you come so eagerly from Olympus this time, daughter of great Zeus, and why has your great heart sent you? Is it so you may give the Danaeans victory to turn the tide of battle, since you have no pity for the Trojans who are perishing? But if you would obey me in anything, and so it would be better far, let us now stop the war and combat for this day. Later will they fight again until they win the goal of Ilios. Since, it, since thus it seems good to the hearts of you immortal goddesses to lay waste this city. And I guess that's a, a, a reference to the judgment of Paris, right? Apollo knows uh, they're going to take it out on Troy. Um, but can we have a pause, he says, for a day? Let them do it tomorrow. Um, and it looks like she, she uh, agrees. So be it, she says. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's also... I don't know, this is a little bit... I'm wondering about Nestor's speech, too. Mm. Like, it's, this is at 120, um, and this is after, like, Menelaus volunteers to fight... Uh, Agamemnon is like, hang on, don't worry about it. It's not a good idea. Um, and then Nestor gives this speech about Lycurgus um, and Ariothus. You know, Ariothus, the mace fighter, mm -hmm. and and that seems that seems like strange foreshadowing to a degree. Ariothus is this mace fighter, right? So it's just he's got this big iron ball, and and he's literally like a wrecking ball, and he mm -hmm. just kind of like shows up and bashes shit. Uh, but Lycurgus is this wily spear thrower, right? And so, like, you get ready to see Hector and um, and Lycurgus wins, and then you get ready to see this fight between Hector and Ajax, and you're like, oh, Hector's going to win because Nestor, you know, Homer chose to use this Nestor speech about the sly spear thrower versus the kind of big brute mace wielder. Um but and so I'm wondering if this is like setting up Nestor to be wrong, you know, in the future. Like he's using this kind of like 
um, symbolism and this kind of like tale of history about, you know, brute strength versus skill and cunning. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's mostly just to get people to volunteer. But, um, you know, the flip kind of thing happens uh, where big brute strength Ajax is seemingly going to kind of pound, (coughs) excuse me, pound Hector into the dirt. So, no. I, I hadn't caught that, but I think you've got something here, Brian, that um, is, is kind of fitting into place. So um, you're suggesting that part of um, what Nestor is doing, he's not just shaming the Greeks. He is doing that. If I were young, I would do it. I would step up and fight. Um, uh, he doesn't even say that he fought um, uh, Erethus or Lycurgus. He fought... Uh, the attendant of Lycurgus, right? I think something like that. But the story he tells, you're right. There's this mace guy, there's this spear guy, and they encounter one another in a narrow place. And so the mace guy can't swing his mace, and the spear guy, who's got a, a you know a pokey stick, can jab still. And so the the mace guy goes down. So maybe he's saying, oh yeah, you might you know uh, look at Hector and think, oh big mace guy, I'm I'm dead meat. But you could trick him if you're cunning. And the thing is, Ajax has no desire whatsoever to do that. As far <laughs> as I can tell, every single blow that Ajax yields uh, lands, he lands deliberately as close to the middle of Hector's shield as possible. Why would anybody fight that way? Well, it's awesome. I mean, <laughs> you know, the way he draws blood, his spear goes through the shield. It's almost like, you, I'm a god, your armor, I just go through your armor. I have a cheat code, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I, I think that's, that's extraordinary. I mean, the other thing it does, I would think, is that it, um, well, I mean, it establishes Ajax as a kind of new Achilles figure, but I, I wonder if it, uh, I wonder if it, um, is encourages the army i i was going to ask this question about the psychology of the two armies in this chapter Mm. because it seems odd i mean you said jeff that um well you know who are these uh, achaeans they don't uh you know they no one steps forward Mm -hmm. and so it looks like well maybe they're sort of down down and out everyone's cowering away then ajax steps forward and throws his spear through a man's shield that would get me hyped up Mm -hmm. um but and so, but then it, it looks like psychologically, a sort of, at the beginning, the Trojans are feeling on the up and up because Hector's like, "Come on, bring it. Who wants a piece of this?" Mm-hmm. But then by the end of the book, uh, the Trojans appear to say uh, or appear to the Achaeans as though they're willing to now lay down and forge a peace, and the Achaeans seem to call BS on that. So mm-hmm. I, it seems to me there's some motion in the psychologies of the armies from the beginning when the Achaeans are down to the end when they say, you know what, we don't even want a piece. We're going to kick, we're going to, we're going to beat you guys. Right. Uh, from Hector at the beginning saying, you know what, I'll take any one of you to at the end, you know, the Trojans saying, well, Paris, what if we just kind of return that lady, you know, kind of a thing. And so I'm wondering about the, you asked what this chapter's meant to do. And I wonder if it's meant to kind of switch gears for the two armies and of course now the gods are going to get involved as they do at the end here and and in the future so anyway i don't know if if you have any uh, reflections on that uh, ebb and flow of the uh, psychology and morale of these two armies 
Yeah, I, I don't have much other than to say, first, your description seems apt to me, right? In other words, I think you get the ebb and flow just right. Um, and second, I'd say there is one exception to it that puzzles me a little bit, and it connects with Brian's, is Nestor going to be wrong? Um, so the part of the, um, the way the psychology cashes out is in these two assemblies that the two armies hold after the day's fighting, right? When night has finally ended uh, the single combat. And uh, the Greeks do two things. The, f the first is that um, they decide that they're not going to take the offer that they get from the Trojans, right? So the Trojans say, we'll give you lots of stuff, but we won't give you Helen herself back. And they say, forget it. You guys are dead. Uh, we're just going to carry it out. Uh, um, but they also build fortifications around their ships. And it, um, it's Nestor's idea, again, I think. So Diomedes, hot young Diomedes, right, is the one who says, to hell with that. He refuses the, the offer of the Trojans. But Nestor's the one who says, no, we got to fortify the ships. And that looks to me like an expectation that you are going to be fighting a defensive battle. Um, so maybe there's a division um, in the Greeks, that their psychology, uh, some of them have really been fired up by uh, Hector's win, uh, by um, Ajax's win, but uh, some of them are still worried about their situation. Um, Nestor seems to be. Um, and on the other side, uh, Priam has to intervene to prevent, I think, the uh, trend towards uh, forcing Paris to give up Helen, because it's pretty clear that the Trojans um, want to do it. So the, the, you know, the Trojan sense that, um, uh, you know, they just want this to end uh, is limited by Paris's unwillingness to let his kid give up Helen. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly why uh, Priam is so intrans intransigent on that point, but he seems to be. It, it seems an interesting thing to consider in terms of like Brian's grand theory of the Iliad, which is um, about hierarchy and who should be in charge and, and who is in charge, you know, between Achilles and Agamemnon. Because it, I think you could argue that there's not necessarily a leader of the Trojans either, you know, or that the, the leadership is not fully consolidated, right? Because if it was, then Priam could just say, we're giving her back. You know, mm -hmm. or Priam could say, we're definitely not giving her back, you know, mm -hmm. instead of this kind of like, well, whatever Paris says, you know, um, like basically letting the lieutenants duke it out instead of the commanding officer saying, here's what we're doing, you know. Um, and so there's this absence of set hierarchy on the Trojan side. And I would argue that there's an absence of a set hierarchy in the Greek side, or at least there's a conflict within the hierarchy. And when you have that happen, you're not going to get definitive decisions made. It's going to be kind of up to the subordinate commanders to kind of play it by ear, which sometimes works and sometimes not doesn't work so well. But mm -hmm. I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, we will. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I think we're at time. So that's book seven. Uh, dear listener, we hope you enjoyed uh, this one. And we will be back with book eight here shortly. So thanks, Shiloh. Thanks, John. Thanks, guys. See you soon.